We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Winning and losing with your projections. That's what we're talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen from my newsletter, BenGretchenSubstack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotovis. We talked in the, in the intro to the last show that we're going to have an interesting cadence here in the next little bit. On the last show, Sean, we started talking about the Chargers, which we both had thought were a really interesting team to discuss. We talked about them for a very long time. We also spent some time on the Bengals and on the Rams, talking through Chase and Cup at the top of drafts, talking through a lot of really important elements, but only hit on a few different teams. This episode, I think we're going to try to hit on a few more topics, but they were very fun and thorough conversations, certainly. And we have a lot more on our list. That's why we have to try to hit on more. (laughs) We do. And one of the things we wanted to start with was to look a little bit at the tight ends. We talk so much about elite tight end, but I think listeners, you know, certainly readers of our various content and uh, just for ourselves, we want to make sure we have worked through exactly what that means and how it's likely to manifest during the course of a season, who really has the upside. And there are a couple of interesting points here sort of starting out, I think. One thing you will hear and is very relevant, especially in 2022, is that you have some hybrid quarterbacks who do a lot of either design runs or scrambling that's going to take away from the total play volume for the rest of their players. And there are some very sharp fantasy analysts who have voiced concern about the price of some of their receiving targets relative to ADP. And obviously it doesn't really matter how good somebody is. If they can't actually outscore what you're paying for them, then that's a big issue. The flip side of that is that sometimes if you get the team level wrong, then the upside for a player who was knocked because the team level volume was not expected to be in that range then allows you to have something like Mark Andrews in 2021, where you have a star player, but suddenly you have the Ravens completely flip in terms of how they play. You can also have elements where perhaps the quarterback simply plays a lot better than is expected in the passing game, which is something that could potentially occur for Jalen Hurts and Trey Lance. And then both when we're trying to project the quarterbacks and try and figure out what their upside is. And I know that you and I both think that Jalen Hurts and Trey Lance, even though they're not inexpensive and they are among just a very small handful of quarterbacks 
who are actually getting more expensive as big picture QB prices are starting to fall a little bit. So there's still going to be price issues in there. But if those players play better and then it doesn't make a difference for the quarterback if you're surrounded by the best receiving talent in the NFL. And it kind of, as I was thinking through this the last couple of days, I mean, one of the reasons why I have so much Lance and so much hurts is that the hybrid ability is so important, but also they could have, and I think they do have the two best receiving groups in the entire NFL. Debo Samuel is an absolute star. Brandon Ayuk went from people saying he doesn't look like a starting player in OTAs to saying he's the best player like in 49ers camp, which, I mean, this isn't a team that doesn't have anybody. I mean, you talk about Debo Samuel and George Kittle. I mean, you're talking about a top five wide receiver and, I mean, a top one, but definitely a top three talent tight end. Now, not top three for fantasy. So the 49ers are obviously loaded. We don't really have to tell people what we think of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and then you have Dallas Goddard in there for the Eagles. So we have a lot of push and pull, and we have a lot of tension in terms of how we look at the likely outcomes for players within those offenses. And then specifically, if we're going to talk about tight ends to start here, and one of the cool things about your recent mailbag edition of Ceiling Signals is you talked about your ranking of Mark Andrews relative to Kyle Pitts. And I know that a lot of listeners, uh, you know, people who both subscribe and listen, were like, I mean, Ben's been saying Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts. How can you rank Mark Andrews ahead of him? And, and Kyle Pitts even has this a little bit of a concern that maybe Mark Marcus Mariota and or Desmond Ritter will run just enough to peel off those extra handful of targets that might make the difference if the offense is actually not efficient right so we have a variety of these guys here i think it's very interesting from the quarterback perspective but starting here with the tight ends and then also because he is the guy we also want to throw travis kelsey in here one of the sort of minor notes from our previous episode you have travis kelsey projected for 157 targets that's above his pace from last season I think that the receivers are going to get in there and take some of those targets away. You have Mark Andrews at 135, Kyle Pitts at 132, George Kittle at 112. If we're going to have this discussion about how do the rushing quarterbacks affect their receivers in terms of volume and what that means as we look at rankings, then projections is, is one very good way to look at it. Now, one of the things we talk about is you have injuries in these offenses, and then it becomes even more concentrated on these guys who are already stars. But walk me through a little bit what we're looking at here with Travis Kelsey, with Mark Andrews, with Kyle Pitts, with George Kittle. What trends and what like key insights came through as you did this exercise? Yeah, there's a lot i think the top five tight ends might be the most interesting discussion in fantasy football this year because i you know i wrote in that mailbag we often talk about how there's a lot of upside profiles at tight end they don't always pan out they don't pan out at other positions either but there are fewer tight ends and so every year you hear people talk about how tight end is said to be deeper this year and then people love to reference everyone says that every year and it's never actually deep that's because it's typically deeper in draft season in terms of interesting profiles and then how they actually pan out. 
number one, it's a position that does have pretty high injury rates, but then also a lot of these guys just don't get the roles in the offense and, and maybe they hit at a lower rate, these upside profiles, but they're still worth making bets on. So I've, I've argued before, I think that commentary that it's deep in draft season makes some sense. Don't think it's deep in draft season in 2022. I don't think there are a lot of interesting upside profiles. We talked on the last show about Gerald Everett. He was one I liked early in the offseason. We talked about some reasons why it doesn't really look that amazing right now. We've talked about Noah Fant, who actually probably still a pretty solid value. Talked about Albert uh, Albert O, and, and now Greg Dulcich has made so much noise. Getting a lot of these teams that are interested in using multiple tight ends. You have guys like Zach Ertz in the top 10. Who I was going to save for later, but like I just straight up don't understand his ADP. Last year, he had a pretty solid 11 game stretch, not even that great. If you go back and look at it with Arizona, when DeAndre Hopkins was injured, missed a bunch of the games, they were running out Antoine Wesley and AJ Green as the outside receivers. They got Marquise Brown. They're going to have Hopkins back after six games. They also drafted the first tight end in the draft this year, Trey McBride, who we love. And people are taking Zach Ertz in the top 10 tight ends. Like there's is. 12th game in the playoffs because he actually played 12 games with the Cardinals wasn't that great. His stretch with the Eagles coming into Arizona wasn't good. Everyone's looking at what he did in Arizona as Ertz is back. That's compared to like a really terrible stretch from the start of 2020 to the middle of 2021 when he got traded with the Eagles. He did bounce back a little bit, but his numbers weren't even that much better and there was no target competition and they've added a bunch and they also drafted his replacement. And just to kind of hammer home like how, how – shallow it is but but not just that but how massive the gaps are you have travis kelsey projected for twice as many points as noah fant at tight end 13 <laughs> that's uh yeah that hammers at home <laughs> uh mike Kosicki's a name we've liked in the past obviously his path is thinner now pat frymuth's one that we like but even him like his quarterback suck cole Komet, one that we like from a profile perspective but the Bears suck. Like you, you were just talking about Lance and Hurts, and the point I wanted to make there was this is why I'm not as on Fields because part of it was, and I love Fields, but part of it was doing the projections. It's a symbiotic relationship. We talk about it. Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, and Goddard. You go look at all six of those players. They're efficient. They're going to elevate the efficiency of their quarterbacks. People hate Jalen Hurts as a passer. He's going to look better than you think he is if you're down on him as a passer. He's going to look statistically a little bit better than that because the guys on the other end are going to make plays on poorly thrown balls or whatever. Justin Fields is going to have the exact opposite. He's going to throw some good deep balls and guys are going to just flat drop them because he's throwing two. You know, dudes that probably should have played in the USFL this year. Cole Komet's going to have more than 96 targets is what you're telling me. He he might. And I I wrote that in the offseason stealing signals post. It would not be surprising to see him have an 80 catch season by any means. But there's not a lot of real upside at the tight end position. And I think that starts from tight end six. I don't think Dalton Schultz real like I like Dalton Schultz as a player. He's gotten too expensive for me to even want to draft. Haven't really seen it from TJ Hawkinson yet. And now he has more competition than he ever had for targets. Maybe that helps him, but I don't see that ceiling. I mean, he's a guy that could have that ceiling, frankly, but I don't really see it. I don't think it's the right time to be in on Hawkinson necessarily. Goddard, similar deal, more competition. And you go down, and I was naming some of the other names. Dawson Knox is in the top ten tight ends, and, and he has like a he had like a fourteen percent targets per out run last year. Just, I mean, these are not profiles that we want. So figuring out the top five, I, I'm taking elite tight end everywhere I can. Like, 
we've always talked about that. Feel like every single draft I do, I take an elite tight end. Almost literally 100%. I might wind up wrong there. I think it's a clear, clear thing to do this year. Because we already knew that it was a, a positive thing, but the, the landscape looks even more like it. As we talk through the top five, Kittle and Waller, we've talked about before. It doesn't really feel like the right year to be on them either, right? Like Waller, and I have actually for later the Raiders on my my list because will probably be a concentrated passing game between Devonta Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Waller. I sometimes talk about how these concentrated passing games are good ones to target because they probably have high if they're all good players, right? They have high floors, then they also have contingency based upside. If Devonta Adams misses time, Waller's ceiling is through the roof, right? He can do it again. If Renfro misses time, his ceiling is still probably through the roof. It's just him and Adams now and, you know, Keelan Cole. So when I did the Raiders projection and realized how concentrated I thought those three would be, and I wrote about them in the offseason ceiling signals, I got a little bit more interested in Waller and a little bit more interested in, in Adams. I think Renfro's the Tyler Boyd of this offense. Although, I'm not trying to knock him too much. He's good in the red zone, and et cetera. Kittle, you have the Lance issue. What I think might be the big issue with Kittle. I talked about it when we talked about Lance in depth. The running rates for the young quarterbacks when they're not trusted to be passers tend to be higher, right? This is a year where Kittle's pass blocking rate is higher than usual. Is it not? It has to be. It has to be a year where they keep him in more. Ayuk is, is thriving in camp. Debo just got paid. They want to use him all over the place. They might run some plays in this offense that are, you know, designed to look like runs and only send two receivers into the formation. And it's Debo and Ayuk out there. And Kittle is being used as a sixth offensive lineman to protect Lance and give him more time to allow him to, to read the field a little better. He's still going to have his moments. He's still going to get design plays for him. He's still going to pick up Yak. He's still such a beast. It just feels like he's the guy because of his blocking ability of the three from a schematic perspective that loses the routes and loses the targets because he can help protect Lance because of how good of a blocker he is, especially now that Ayuk is, is looking so good in camp. So I'm concerned about those two. Like I said, I, I as I did my tiers, I had a really hard time breaking these players out. I have Waller and Kittle in the same tier. I described to somebody – I actually think of Waller as a half tier ahead of Kittle, but a full tier behind Pitts and Andrews. I think of Pitts and Andrews as a half tier behind Kelsey. In my tiers, I have it as Kelsey, and then another tier that's Andrews and Pitts. I think they're very close. And then another tier that's Waller and Kittle. But like I said, I think the Kelsey and Andrews and Pitts one is more of a half tier. And I think the Waller and Kittle one is kind of a half tier, but I have them in the same tier. I'm obviously confused about how to rank this. But all of that preamble gets back to Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, who I think are – I think they should all be first-round picks in tight end premium. I think they should all be gone by the middle of the second round in regular PPR and even half PPR because of what they provide to your starting lineup to have a potentially elite tight end. It's no guarantee that Kyle Pitts is going to completely break out. But he is the bet from floor to ceiling I want to make. The floor element for him is still good, but it can get beat by Waller or Kittle, right? But it's it's still a bet I want to make more than Waller and Kittle. And so I want to pay whatever I have to to get that because I think there's ceiling attached to it, right? And again, the way that their profiles look, those three, I think they should all be top 18 picks in every format and top and first rounders in 10 and premium, which we do see occasionally in, in FFPC drafts. Their pits are starting to rise a little bit. 
I ranked Andrews ahead of Pitts, in part because when I did the Ravens projection, even though I cut down their play volume, I've talked a lot about how they led the league in play volume last year by more than a play per game, a really high additional play volume you know, bump for them last year. And they threw more than ever by a lot. They were about 63% pass rate, I think. Both in 2019 and 2020, they were sub 50%, which is astronomically low. 63% is above average. What's interesting about that is they found themselves in a lot of passing scripts. They actually still had a mildly negative pass rate over expected. Their expected pass rate was very high. So even if you just look at their Vegas win total, they're expected to win a few more games this year than last. Last year, if you go look at the Ravens and how they wound up with these numbers, their final six games, they lost five of them. They lost all six. They lost five of them by a field goal or less. A lot of these like back and forth, frantic fourth quarters where they're throwing a lot. Their pass rate was slightly higher when Jackson was out, when Huntley and Josh Johnson played. I think, and the years, they were only slightly negative in pass rate over expected. They were very negative the years prior. So what I wrote about in offseason ceiling signals is we're basically looking at this thing where their their new win total puts them, they were at 63% pass rate last year. It puts them at about an expected 60%. They were sub 50% the last two years. If you expect they keep some of the gains, they're still going to regress their pass rate but you might have them in the 55 to 60% range pass rate. That's fine. That makes them a pretty good pass volume team. If you think they look a lot more like 2019 and 2020 and they're seven percentage points or 10 percentage points below expectation, now you're talking about sub 55%, maybe even sub 50% like they were in both 2019 and 2020. Now you're talking about a lot less pass volume. But in either case, and I, I kind of projected out both, I'm projecting them at 58% cold pass plays. So not a ton of lost pass volume from last year, but I am also regressing their total play volume. It's a lot fewer dropbacks. But in either case, the advantage for Mark Andrews is, and I've talked about this a lot, his routes last year were a career high. They were over 600 routes. His previous career high was 350. Part of the reason it was 350 is he never used to run routes on every single dropback. Last year, the dropbacks accelerated. He also started running routes on every dropback or very close to it, like a full-time receiver. I think they're going to get nowhere near basically the same number of dropbacks as last year, but he does keep the element likely where he's running routes on every single dropback. So now instead of being over 600 routes, he doesn't go all the way back to 350 like he used to be in 2020 and earlier. He's maybe at 500 routes, 550. It's a lot less route volume, but I've, I've talked about all year about how I'm concerned about Andrews. What I came to in this projection was, yeah, it's a lot less route, route volume, but it's not Mark Andrews prior to 2021. It's not Mark Andrews in 2021 either, but it's closer to Mark Andrews in 2021 than it is 2019 or 2020 when he often only ran routes on 50% of dropbacks or 60% of dropbacks. And they traded Marquise Brown, and I do feel very strongly that they're probably going to lean on him with a lot of routes. So for me with him, it's pretty easy to project him for like a 25% target share. That's about where he's been in the last three years. It's just that the volume rose. He's 25, 24, maybe it was 26, right in this range, all three of the last couple of years. Every year, his targets per run have been very strong. They were a little lower last year, in part because he ran so many more routes, right? But we would forgive him for that. The low for him was 25%, very high. He's been as high as 30%, which is elite. He's also been very efficient per target in terms of yardage. Every year of his career, he has a 2 plus yards per run all four years of his career because he earns targets and he's efficient per target. And his TD rate has been above average every year of his career on a per target basis. 
So you're looking at a guy that is pretty easy to project for like 25% of the targets, whether or not Bateman breaks out. I think the Bateman question is whether the other receivers are involved or not. Cause prior to 2021, it was Andrews and Marquise Brown. And that was it. No one else got more than 50 targets, either of the 2019 or 2020 season in the Ravens passing game, both Andrews and Brown had at least 70 both years. And it was more like, you know, 90 or more both years. I, the, one of them had 71 one year, but it was because they missed a couple of games. So basically I'm saying it's really easy for me to see 25% target share for Andrews. If Bateman doesn't take the step forward, he didn't have great targets brought run last year. I'm a little concerned about him. Then he's probably splitting a little bit with James Proch and Tylen Wallace and whoever else, right? If he does take a step forward, he's making it Andrews and Bateman. But there's room for both of them. Regardless, I feel very comfortable with Andrews' target share. And even when I'm regressing all of the pass volume, the target share gets him to a pretty solid target number, even with the reduced routes and pass volume. He's going to be efficient on that. He's going to score touchdowns on that. Pitts, meanwhile, is also in a passing game that we don't project for a ton of volume. You look at... So here, you have you have Lamar Jackson with 639 dropbacks. You have Marcus Mariota, who you do have taking all of the snaps for Atlanta at 653. It's only 14 more dropbacks. You're obviously giving Andrews a slightly higher percentage of the targets than Pitts because there's a, a bigger gap between Andrews and Bateman than you're projecting for Pitts in London or no, because, because the, of the long-term target earning that we've already seen from Andrews. So with Pitts, he was at like 19% target share last year. Very good for a 20 turning 21 year old rookie in season. Projecting him all the way up to 23.5%. I think it's very easy to see him at 25%, right where Andrews is, basically. But the team volume is not necessarily going to bridge that gap. I also have Pitts as a guy who's going to very easily be efficient on that on that volume. I think he can get right to Andrews' level in targets, potentially over it. I think he can be just as efficient in yardage. The TD element's a little different where I don't think his one TD last year is predictive at all. At the same time, we have Mark Andrews with four straight years of above average TD rates in a good offense. We have Kyle Pitts in a bad offense, and he did only score one touchdown last year. I'm projecting him right around league average and TD rate, but it comes out to where Andrews is going to wind up with a few more touchdowns, a couple more, one and a half or something. I don't know, two. But basically, when I, when I did my pods with Leone, he asked me, basically, how does Pitt smash Andrews? And I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it because the upside version for Pitts, which I very much see, does feel it, – it can definitely be better than Andrews, especially if Baltimore goes really run heavy. But it doesn't feel like it really buries Andrews statistically because I think Andrews is, is such a lock to be the number one option in his passing game and get those targets and be efficient on them with his long track record. So I wind up with Andrews ahead of Pitts and them in the same tier. I want to be clear. That's not anything that changed on my opinion on Pitts. It's just that I kind of came around to this idea that I probably want to take some Andrews too, because I still see a lot of upside here if he keeps the full route share, right? And he's still running 500 to 550 routes. He's not back to his 350 route self. That's the element and the efficiency along with it that gets me excited about Andrews and then I also was considering costs in my, my rankings and saying, if I'm ranking Pitts ahead of Andrews, I'm saying straight up, I'm just not going to draft Andrews because Pitts is going, in some cases, around behind him. I've gotten plenty of Pitts already. 
it's a situation like we talked about last show where I felt like I was on DJ more too much last year. I want to make sure I have some Andrews here too. The big difference when we're looking at Andrews relative to Kittle, you talked about Kittle with some of these pass blocking snaps and maybe he doesn't run routes on as higher percentage as you are projecting for Andrews, but it still seems like we're more or less talking about the big difference between Rashad Bateman as an unknown and really only him. Although I'm obviously you're going to get some positive reports out of camp for the tertiary receivers for Baltimore. Those guys are, you know, NFL rosterable players who are going to make a handful of plays will draw off a little bit of volume. Kittle, someone who has massive upside when we look at the difference in price if one of Debo or Ayuk went down. One of the things I'm looking at here that I think is interesting, uh, you have Kittle at 8.6 yards per target. Obviously, that's very aggressive. But over his 157 targets from the last two seasons, he's actually at 9.8. And so uh, I think listeners would wonder how much of that is just that 9.8 is not a number that you would expect anybody to be able to sustain and how much of it is you don't not you don't believe in Trey Lance, but that's just yeah. there may be a difference. That's what it is. I, I initially projected Kittle over nine yards per target. And my Trey Lance passing numbers were just absurd. I mean, this projection was just absurd. And I had to be reasonable and go back and say, okay, you know what? Trey Lance wasn't particularly accurate last year. It probably is tough for George Kittle to have nine plus yards per target in an offense where some of the, the passes are not going to be catchable. This catch rate's going to go down. Maybe if, if Lance isn't, you know, as, as accurate of a passer as Kittle's had to play with in the past. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And yet one of the things we discussed in the previous show was that this vertical element for some of these guys, I mean, Jamar Chase actually could have caught a few more passes, could have had some more long plays. Lance probably less accurate in the short and intermediate areas. Potentially some of that balanced out by the big arm that unlocks big plays for Ayuk and Samuel and Kittle. Because one of the things that I think I'm about when I try to draft these guys is that, yeah, I mean, it's hard to figure out where the volume comes from. And yet at the same time, the talent level and the potential, number one, if there's an injury, and the number two, if you know some things are even slightly wrong about how we think the offense is going to go, you know, if there are five big plays on the season for example, that people are not really factoring in. I mean, those big plays change what it looks like. And then especially when we're thinking about weak winning outcomes in the playoffs. I mean, so much of, of 
fantasy in 2022 is focused on, well, how do you win big? And those big plays could come at the right time. Yes. And Kittle can definitely generate them. And I, I can't push back on the idea that where I might be wrong on Kittle is Trey Lance's passing efficiency. Like I held Trey Lance's projection back intentionally. <laughs> like I, I'll, I'll readily admit that. And it's already extremely aggressive. Kittle came out higher than this initially, like too high. And I was like, I can't be this confident in his, his, you know, his yards per target, for example. I haven't projected for the most of any tight end. Not substantially more, but a little more than Kelsey Pitts, Andrews. Waller's a little ways behind that. I felt like I was too far above the market or the, the that league average or whatever with the quarterback change. And so I did make that change exactly as you described. The bigger change is if Kittle hits there, then Lance is definitely a league winner. That's almost the way that I would say then to play that. I mean, you could play it with Kittle and Lance. Right. And I think that, I mean, one of the things that I've been doing, and I do understand that from a projections perspective, it's hard to make these numbers work out. But across multiple leagues, you know, when Debo falls, you're looking at him. When Kittle falls, you're looking at him. When Ayuk falls, especially now that we're getting positive reports from camp, you're looking at him. And then you're obviously looking at Trey Lance because there are three different ways that he could win. I mean, number one, all of them start with him being at least solid. But then a massive blow up season from any of those guys, which those elements and those scenarios are going to be interconnected to an extent. But you can win through just epic play from team from individuals within the context of this team that's very, very talented. Then let me ask you about prices here. We talked about wanting to get the tight ends and the elite tight ends. Obviously, this is going to be somewhat format specific. I'm currently in this Apex Expert draft uh, mike brody runs the fantastic apex leagues fantasy football leagues and some listeners may every once in a while i mean obviously uh, the vast majority of our listeners are going to really like the ffpc really like underdog but there are going to be some ways in which those two formats almost pull to opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of where certain players are priced apex is more neutral with just general ppr across the board so you don't have the tight end premium for tight ends you don't have the half ppr element in this format, and it's a, a two running back, three wide receiver, one tight end, and then one flex. So again, a, a pretty neutral kind of format. In the experts league, Evan Silva took Travis Kelsey at 201. Mike Clay took Mark Andrews at 301. Ian Hartitz took Kyle Pitts at 308. Sigmund Bloom took Darren Waller at 504 and I took George Kittle at 602. I think those are interesting prices in terms of where those guys are going. I'm assuming that you actually like all five of those picks, but how would you prefer to be playing it? Those all seem like way too cheap of prices, <laughs> but I know that's a really receiver heavy draft. That's a very specific one in that context. And especially because you're talking about a really receiver-heavy draft where the opportunity cost where you got Kittle at 602 was probably a whole different tier of receiver. Who was the next receiver there? Well, I mean, it, it was tricky for me because, you know, we get right back to this other question of receiving targets in, in an offense helmed by a hybrid QB where the other receiving options are also good. 
it was a difficult choice for me to take George Kittle ahead of Devontae Smith right there. That was the other guy I was really looking at. My first five picks were CeeDee Lamb at 111. You don't necessarily like the 111, but I'm warming up to Lamb since they have nobody else, and he could take a step forward. Devontae Adams at 202. Deontay Johnson at 311, even with what appears to be deteriorating Pittsburgh quarterback play. Jerry Judy at 402. Drake London at 511. So I have five receivers to start. And then you're looking at George Kittle at the 602. I mean, it's almost impossible not to take one of the five elite tight ends there. And yet there are still some challenges, I think, because Devontae Smith would be an interesting receiver. We talk about drafting six of the top 15. You're not going to get that unless you're aggressively going after receivers with this elite talent profile. And then tight ends do tend to fall in this particular draft, not even specifically apex, I don't think, but the one area where experts may be overconfident is feeling like they can hit tight ends late and so the cost to get tight ends historically has not been that high so i was kind of factoring that in in the back of my head but we did see dalton schultz and dallas goddard go in mid seven and then i actually took tj hawkinson at the 7-eleven because i think that he is the other guy and i think that that gives me a little bit of flexibility if the 49ers completely crater Hawkinson, a guy you said, maybe this isn't the season. I, I did want to ask about Hawkinson and Kelsey within the context of those receiving groups seeming pretty loaded. So let's look at Kelsey first, since he's in this big five. One of the takeaways, I think, from what you're saying about Mark Andrews, which makes a lot of sense. I've said that I think that this may be a season to lighten your exposure a little bit to Mark Andrews and Dynasty. But in part, that's because I, I'm extremely heavy on Mark Andrews, and so maybe it made sense to take some profits. But with Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts there in round two or in round three in the particular format, then it's very difficult for me to justify Travis Kelsey because I just think that this year there actually is target competition. Now, people are going to say, I mean, Sean, what are you talking about? I mean, they've, they've had Tyreek Hill, but Tyreek Hill being replaced by Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Sky Moore. And that's three guys. And so when we think through the scenarios, now we have three different individual players who could hit. But if a second one hits, then suddenly you have two guys really pulling targets away. And then we wouldn't necessarily you know, expect to, <laughs> to hit on all three across the board, but it's not impossible that all three are good. I mean, you mentioned how Patrick Mahomes tends to elevate these guys. One of the things that's interesting and one of the reasons why, even though I'm not exactly on Allen Robinson, I can certainly see how that would play out. You, you pull up the AYA tool over at Rotoviz, and one of the things that's kind of funny is that even with how good Cooper Cup was last year and Robert Woods was actually a little better than I remembered, you've got guys like Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones from an AYA perspective still up there kind of right in that group. And you're thinking, man, I don't really remember the lions being good. Well, the lions weren't good, but Matthew Stafford was still elevating those guys on a per play basis. If Patrick Mahomes makes these three receivers into a star and Travis Kelsey's target gap between him and that Andrews Pitts range, if instead of being like 20 to 25, if that's just 10 to 15, then even with the fact that you expect him to be efficient with Mahomes, it becomes difficult to necessarily justify, I think, taking a lot of him when you've got to take him usually in the first round. <clears throat> the element where you can get Andrews and Pitts a little cheaper definitely comes into play. And I keep getting asked if people should do two tight end builds where they take Kelsey and then they take Pitts. And I've mostly said, I think 
a big part of what I'm so excited about with Pitts is the advantage he can provide you the tight end position. You mentioned on a recent show that when you were breaking down the sort of the production ranges, listeners might remember this for like Chase and Jefferson and what they'd have to give you and how much lower what you would need from Pitts to be a hit would be. It was, you know, something about like those guys could be 2000 yard receivers and Pitts, you're looking at 1300, 1400 yards at tight end. I mean, your goal. So treating him as a flex is it's a different, it's a different scale. And so that element of it, I totally understand. At the same time, where I'm at with Kelsey is influenced by some of my research during doing their projections. It doesn't really combat what you said about there being more weaponry this year. But one of the concerns with Kelsey would be that his targets per run were down last year, that he wasn't as efficient as ever. His yards per target were an all-time low, frankly, 8.6, still really good, but he's often 9 to 10. His targets brought around 21.4%. That was coming off 2020, which was a career high 24.6%. He's very frequently all throughout sort of his prime years been in this 23, 24% targets per run range. He was down at 21.5, basically a small draw. And it's this reminder that I got that Kelsey played through a stinger for a bit in the middle of last year. It's a lot like the point you made either on this episode or the last episode, the last episode uh, this week where uh, we were talking about Mike Williams and how he played hurt a little bit last year. Kelsey had three games in a six week stretch where he only had 27 yards, exactly 27 in those three games uh, from week eight to week 11 or 14. That's the stretch where he was pretty banged up. His targets were down. If you go look at his targets week by week, he had a lot early in the year. He had four, 10 target games and he goes through a stretch where he has you know, 10-plus target games. He has one 10-target game over six games. The other five were all eight or fewer. And then you go look at the postseason where he had a little bit more time to get right. He averages nine targets a game, 23 catches, 7.7 catches a game, 299 yards, basically 100 yards on the dot per game, played three games, scored three touchdowns. His last three regular season games he scored in each. He had a couple kind of down games, but he played into week 18 and, and didn't play as many snaps as usual. But he actually still played quite a bit in that game. But the point is we saw the target front run drop. He played a little bit hurt during that stretch. Very similar to my Jamar Chase point from last year. If you account for that at all in that stretch, and then you also add in how good he was in the postseason, which he was incredible, you wind up, pretty much at normal normal Kelsey numbers. It, it was actually a pretty normal Kelsey year. He now is 32, but I feel pretty comfortable saying we didn't see the drop-off last year. He'll turn 33 in October, actually. So, I mean, he's getting up there in age. This might be the year we see the drop-off. I feel pretty comfortable saying we did not see the drop-off last year. I think Kelsey will be a big part of the reason that the Chiefs are the team I expect to come out of the West. But one reason I think that I'm enthusiastic about the potential for the elite offenses and the potential for historic seasons or not or at least epic seasons this year from teams like the bills and the Bengals and the chiefs and even teams like the chargers and the broncos is that i think that you're going to have to fight for the playoffs but also for the number one seed with only one team getting in there and getting the bye and with that buy being so valuable, I mean, how much margin are any of those teams? You, you think about the 
Bills and the Bengals and the Chiefs possibly being like the three best teams in football. But you also have teams like the Baltimore Ravens in addition to the teams the KC is fighting with in the West and how that kind of goes down the stretch. Now, maybe there are some teams that would prefer to have their players healthy and have to play an extra game. Although, Ben, I mean, anybody who looks at any of the different projections for how you win a Super Bowl, I mean, playing one more game knocks down your chances of winning dramatically. As many good teams as you're talking about in the AFC, their, their first round matchup is going to be a hard matchup as well. Exactly. And so so probably the Chiefs aren't going to be in position to rest Travis Kelsey, but they will want him healthy at that point. Yeah, I, I think that you have to be on these big-time tight ends. Is there another tight end in this group? Well, I just to wrap up Kelsey, I was making the case that he didn't really fall off last year. And then the rest of the cases that the Chiefs are so passive. And we talked about this a little bit on the first show this week when we talked about the Chargers, but their pass rate over expected incredibly high. Easy to project them for a ton of pass volume. And so Kelsey doesn't even necessarily need the same type of target share as what I was just describing for Andrews or Pitts. In fact, I have him at 24%. I have Andrews at 25%. And yet you, you wind up with sig- significantly different target numbers where Kelsey's a lot higher. 22 targets higher. So I I think Kelsey has his potential to be an absolute star, but you were talking about the other receivers in the Kansas City offense. I've had a hard time with the other receivers because I think it's okay to be back in on Juju, but there's reasons to be concerned, frankly, over the last few years. And I have a hard time pulling the trigger on him. Loves Guy more. MVS is one that the fantasy community has been all over all offseason because he got signed to a three-year $30 million deal. And I'm not sure what else because he comes from a quarterback who traditionally raises his receiver's efficiency as much as as Mahomes, if not more, because Rodgers throws so few passes. And yet MVS in that offense has never had strong targets per out run. He's never had more than 75 targets in a season. Last year he missed some time. He was on a career-high pace of five targets a game. He's never been that efficient. He's had some drops issues. His catch rate's never been great. He's obviously a vertical threat. But then you also go look at his contract, and this is the point I want to make here on him, which is everyone has referenced it being a 3 or $30 million deal. It sounds like this really strong deal. It's not that impressive of a deal in an offseason where Christian Kirk got $20 million a year and wide receiver contracts were going nuts. MVS got $8.56 fully guaranteed. He gets another 6 million guaranteed on the third day of the 2023 league year. They're probably not going to cut him after one season. Assume he gets that money too. They still backloaded this contract to where his cap number in his first year is about 5 million. Second year it's 11 million. Third year it's 14 million. His base salary this year is two and a half. It goes to eight and a half and then it goes to 11 and a half. He's owed almost half of the money in this deal in his final season. Only has $2 million of dead money. They could save $12 million by cutting off that third year. They could even save quite a bit of money by cutting off the second year if they do it before the third day of the, of the league year in 2023. But again, only the point is only $8.5 million guaranteed out of a $30 million deal. A lot of times we see $30 million deals, $18 million guaranteed, not eight. This actually looks like a two-year deal with an average annual value of like eight and a half, not three years, $10 million. And so... That is one point I want to make as well while we were talking about this is, number one, MVS never really was more than a rotational player in Green Bay. 
fantasy community is treating him like he got this huge deal and it's now going to be a huge focal point of a really good Chiefs passing game. But I would point out he was already in a very efficient passing game and never drew a lot of targets and was never that efficient. So it's not like the situation got that much better. And this deal compared to the Christian Kirk deal and a lot of these other deals, frankly, looks like a rotational receiver deal, not some huge, we're signing you to give you 100, to pigeonhole you 150 target type deal. I couldn't even project him for 100 targets when I did my projection based on his past target rate, based on everything, based on the competition in this offense. And I don't think that's wrong. He's, there's going to be more pass volume in this offense than Green Bay. That is one thing where I mentioned his career highs, five targets a game, probably comes up from that a little bit. But over 17 games, that would be 85 targets. I think I have him actually sort of in that range in part because there's some other target competition. But and I, I was... I emphasize this because I've been pretty interested in MVS for most of the offseason, thinking he could be this you know, explosive play guy. But they still have Michael Hardman, who everyone wants to just completely ignore, but has been fairly efficient. They worked him into a different role last year in the short area of the field. They're still trying to get him touches last year. I don't think Michael Hardman's necessarily going to be great, but if MVS's contract can be viewed more as a rotational player, he might be more rotational with Michael as sort of their deep targets or whatever. Michael might still have a role. Which doesn't none of this really refutes your point that they're deep and that might hurt Kelsey. It's just more that I want to play the Chiefs passing game through Kelsey, who is the guy that pretty clearly looks like a star at the top that's going to get his targets. I don't, I don't really fear Juju or MVS when it comes to Kelsey's target share. I'm a little bit afraid of Sky Moore just being a star. Sky is definitely a big risk if you're not on him. And my preference for playing all of these teams and for playing obviously the first round is that you in the first round, you're taking absolute must have stars where you feel like these guys are the best players in the NFL and their team is going to revolve around them. And then everybody else you want to play through the least expensive high upside play on the team. And so for me this year, that's made it even tricky for players like Travis Kelsey and Stefan Diggs. It's definitely a reason why I wouldn't have a player like Joe Mixon, even though there are stretches where Mixon is a valuable fantasy player. It's not like everybody who drafts him loses by any stretch. He had a big game at a crucial point in last season that elevated a lot of fantasy managers. But when I'm looking at that and I'm trying to think through, you know, if I want Kelsey or Juju or Sky Moore, if I want even Stefan Diggs, as opposed to Gabriel Davis, it's not as clear cut for me as taking the guys in the top half of the first round. That's one of the reasons why the top half of the first round is preferable. Juju, I think, could still blow up. Sky Moore, I think, could still blow up. And if that happens, you win. And not only do you win, but I do think that it hurts Kelsey. Kelsey, yeah. Marcos Valdez-Scantling, I have zero. And it's not that I don't think that he can be an important part of the team or that he won't have good games, especially in best ball. You can understand why people would want to have some exposure yeah. because I mean, if Juju is washed or Sky Moore is a bust or is injured or whatnot, I mean, there's a path to MVS having a huge number of targets. I think it's a much narrower path than the price currently indicates. One yeah. of the things that's weird about the chiefs is that throughout the entire draft season, Patrick Mahomes ADP has fallen. And yet you look at the receivers for the chiefs. Juju is up. MVS is up. Sky Moore is up. So I, I, there was an inefficiency there where managers are not 
thinking through exactly how they think this pass offense is going to work if they have all of those players rising and Patrick Mahomes and falling. Mahomes falling. Yeah. I, you know, the way that you're talking through how to play, I guess I'm defending that Kelsey should be in his own tier at tight end. At the same time, I mentioned from the very top that I kind of have a half tier down from him to Andrews and Pitts. I'm a little more worried about Waller and Kittle. I haven't actually taken a lot of Kelsey. I've taken a lot of Pitts. And the opportunity cost just in the first round to get Kelsey. I mean, I think in tight end premium, he's the clear six player. I haven't had the 106 in tight end premium. I would take Kelsey. I I don't know where else you would go unless you go to Diggs and go to Eckler, which a lot of people like. And your projections are high on Eckler. And they are. They are. But I'm not thrilled about drafting him at that cost either. I haven't really actually found myself taking Kelsey a lot. So that's the element where I'm sort of defending the ranking, and yet you're talking strategically. And, yeah, just I guess I just don't really disagree with you on that, that I'm much happier to come out of the first two rounds with anyone other than Kelsey and then Andrews or Pitts in the second round than Kelsey and somebody else in the second. Then we need to wrap this one, but – is there another tight end that we should pull into this conversation either because they are an interesting late round option that would balance you out? Well, they give you the two tight end build that you want because if you have one of these elite tight ends, you probably want a two tight end build in most formats, not all. But then the other element is if you miss on the top five and there are going to be individual drafts where the price just, you know, where you are, in that particular league, in that particular draft, none of the top five really makes sense. Is there any type of rescue your team tight end? I had actually been thinking this was a great year for late tight end until pretty recently. In your mailbag, you said that you feel like this is one of the worst years now. I guess I still still like some of the late guys. Noah Fant is one of my most rostered players but is there a tight end outside of the big five that we should really be focusing on either as a value or provocative, controversial in some other way? I still really like Pat Firemuth's path. Looking at his numbers, he looks a lot like TJ Hawkinson after year one. We were really in on Hawkinson at a higher price going into year two. Similar situation, bad team. Firemuth showed some better touchdown scoring potential than Hawkinson probably ever has just off recollection. I haven't looked at that, but I don't think Hawkinson's had any kind of big TD season. Firemuth had seven TDs last year, which is notable because he's splitting some routes with Eric Ebron, only had 70-something targets, and his team only threw 23 touchdowns, and he caught almost a third of them. But honestly, no. To answer your question, like, no. No fan. I'm in. I'm in as a guy who can be, you know, not knowing who in the top five could get injured, the tight end six, you know, assuming the top, top five are all healthy, I'm in on Noah Fant's ceiling being tight end six. I'm in on a lot of these guys' ceiling being tight end six. I don't see how a lot of them, and, and Schultz and Hawkinson and Goddard are, you know, going right after them. They're the ones that I would say very clearly, yes, could be better than the worst of the top five. I just think the gap in their ranges is, it certainly overlaps, but is wider than, than ADP suggests. But yeah, like Goddard, Hawkinson Schultz, those are not surprising names to say. Yeah, they could be better than Waller or Kittle if Waller or Kittle, you know, has sort of these down years that we're talking about as possible. But in terms of like waiting till tight end 12, tight end 14, and grabbing a guy and thinking he can go out and have a 120 target season, like 
You point me to him. Brevin Jordan? I, I'll wait all the way till Trey McBride, Greg Dulcich, and, and the, the first guy that came to my mind when he started saying this was John Smith, who's, who I read a tweet the other day was leading the Patriots' uh, first team in targets. John Smith's still an absolute steal at the very end, but that's what I'm doing. I'm waiting till the very end. I'm taking one of the rookies or John Smith. Like, Well, you mentioned Brevin Jordan, and that kind of, again, underlines how shallow it can be because – and I don't know that I necessarily buy this, but the most recent reporting that I've seen, which may not be the most re- recent reporting, is that Brevin Jordan is not even currently positioning himself to be the tight end one in Houston. And cool. so... <laughs> Cross <yeah>. it off. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out Cole Komet as a guy I think could end up with far more volume than anticipated. And I still think that you can play Denver through either or both of the tight ends there are scenarios there yeah. where those guys absolutely crush but we are looking at the top five guys then you have me even more enthusiastic about the big five connor o'driscoll is going to have a new article on elite tight end why it's alive and well and why it's so crucial for you in all different types of formats and in a variety of builds to have that trump card in your hand when you're playing both regular season and winning these tournaments then that'll do us another awesome projection influence, not necessarily projection-based. Stealing Bananas will be back. I do want to ask you about the Detroit Lions. I'm kind of saving TJ Hawkinson off of this because we have the Lions as a potential team to look at. I also want to grill you on boring wide receivers versus exciting wide receivers. We talk about that concept a lot, but we're going to look at the projections and the target numbers and how that plays out in one of our upcoming episodes. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. If you haven't signed up yet, make sure you get stealing signals. Make sure you get stealing lines. This is the time of the year that you want it. August is the fantasy football party. The party even happens and is the biggest before the NFL season starts. So make sure you get in there, grab that. We'd love to have you over at RotoViz. You can use the coupon code RV Radio 2022 to get 10% off of your one year subscription. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. Talk to you guys soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.